So good Christmas, everyone. Have a good Christmas. I had a good Christmas. Um, my Christmas was pretty relaxed. Um, I'm one of those fortunate people that my extended family all get on fairly well with one another. And I know that not everyone gets that, but I get that. And, uh, and so that makes our Christmases pretty positive, pretty relaxed sort of times. Um, however, this Christmas, there was one awkward moment. Uh, can I share my awkward moment with you? So um, uh, we were together with, with my family, which is about 20 people. And uh, we had lunch and uh, that all went fine. It was all good. And we got to that part of the day where we sit around and start um, sharing gifts. You know, and the way that works for our family is everyone sits at a circle, big circle. And, uh, and each family sort of um, then just you know, kind of wander around and uh, hand out gifts. And, and in our family, we do that thing where uh, only one person opens a gift at a time. I don't know how your family works, but we don't do this sort of all thing, all in thing. Uh, we hand out gifts and everyone watches one person open a gift. And uh, so this is all going swimmingly. It's all fine. And my sister gives my wife a gift, big brown paper bag. And uh, I'm sitting almost right opposite the circle uh, from Ros, my wife, and my sister's only a few seats from her, and she passes this big bag along. Now, I can't tell you why, but for some reason in my mind, I thought that she said, or I picked it up, whatever, I thought that this was a shared gift for my wife and I, um, which is not uncommon uh, amongst our family, particularly amongst the adults. The kids often get their own, but it's quite common for the adults for uh, one couple to give another couple a gift. And so I get up out of my seat, I walk across the circle, and I stand right next to Roz, right next to her chair, as she starts to open the bag. Until my sister says, it's all quiet, everyone's just watching this, until my sister says, uh, Matt, this gift isn't for you. It's just for Roz. And so there's this horrible sort of awkward moment where everyone looks at me just standing right next to my wife in the middle of this circle. And I sort of do this walk of shame quietly back across the circle and sit down in my seat. I'm sort of joking. It wasn't really that awkward. It was a little bit of fun and it passed quite quickly. Um, but, 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 but. In a moment of seriousness, it did remind me of how bad it can feel when you're not included. Now, th- th- this was a fun one and it wasn't serious and, and, and we got all over it quick. But, but it did remind me of just how terrible it can be when you, you know, step into a situation and have someone say, you're not welcome here. You're not invited here. This, this isn't for you. And I bet everyone here knows what I'm talking about. Um, maybe you've been in a situation you know, where everyone's got a gift uh, and you haven't. Um, maybe you've been left out of a group chat. You, know, you discover that all your friends, there's a, there's a message going around, uh, a message thread going around about something and you're not included. Um, uh, maybe you've been left off a sports team. Uh, you've been left out of an invitation to a party. Maybe there's an important meeting at work or a social function or something and you realise that you're not invited. All of a sudden, all the chairs in the office are blank because everyone's gone uh, to a meeting and you're left there. Uh, we, all, we all have had that experience. We all know that sort of experience. And, and sometimes they are just 
uh, short-term things that you shrug off and you say, it's no big deal. I'll go out with my other friends. I don't need to, to go out with these friends tonight. But it is also true it is also true that for some of us, and maybe in some senses for most of us, some of our deepest hurts come from those moments in life where we are excluded. And the truth is, for some people would say that those moments of not being welcome, of not being included, of being deliberately excluded, that the pain of that can be worse than the pain of... Uh, a, a physical loss, um, the, the pain of uh, you know losing someone, uh, emotional uh, pain. That the pain of being excluded can can be right up there in terms of the things we look at in our lives and say that's that's some of the, the the toughest things that have happened to me and that I've had to experience. We're beginning a new series that we're calling Jesus All Grown Up. Uh, we celebrated Christmas. Last week, and like most people, um, uh, we spent time looking at the baby Jesus in a manger. Um, and so this series is about asking, what happens after Christmas? What happened after that first Christmas? What kind of man did the baby in the manger grow up to be? That's what this, this series is all about. We're, we're going to explore the man Jesus. We're, we're going to explore the kind of man that he became, the things that shaped him, the things that he said, the things that he did. And I guess behind this, this series is a question asking, what is it about Jesus? What is it about the way that that baby grew up that makes us still be talking about him thousands and thousands of years later? What are some of the... Um, the big ideas, if you like, in his life. I mean, we've got, uh, in, in our Bibles, we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, four guys who wrote four biographies, if you like, of the life of Jesus. Four people who sat down and, and wrote uh, about Jesus. And, and between them, there are so many stories, so many ideas, so many words. But what are the, what are the important ones? What are the key ones? What are sort of the, the big ideas um, that shaped Jesus? What are, the, what are the key themes about his life um, that really made Jesus, Jesus? Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, and just like us, there are, there, there are lots of things about me. There are all sorts of things that I've said. But if you ask my family and people who are close to me, they'd say there are certain key things about Matt that really make Matt, Matt. What are those things about Jesus? I just want to say a, a disclaimer um, uh, there's no definitive list, right? You know, we, I, I've chosen some things, we've chosen things, but, but, but standing here and saying that, you know, we've chosen the list uh, of the distinctive things about Jesus is trying to choose the, be- the greatest football team of all time. Do you know what I mean? As soon as you do that, as soon as you put up some names, people are going to say, well, you left that person out. And what about this person? And it is true with Jesus. As soon as we say, well, you know, here's a list of things, someone's going to say, well, but, but what about this aspect of Jesus? And that's totally fine, right? We're going to put up some things. And you might, you might, when I say disagree with this, you might think there are other things that should be on the list. And that's totally fine. Um, I'd actually love to hear if you've got other ideas. Um, you know, if you're watching this online, you know, drop, drop, a, drop a comment below or, or you know, comment 
uh, a touch base with us uh, through chat and, and you know, tell us what you think are the most important things about Jesus and about the person that he was. But anyway, we're going to get started and we're going to jump into a story today that, well, this is a story that you probably wouldn't expect to be a part of a series like this. We're going to jump into Luke's biography of Jesus. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the four boys' names, they're in the sort of the latter third of your Bible. Uh, we're going to go into Luke and into Luke chapter 8. Uh, it's a long chapter and we can start reading at verse 40. So if you're at Luke 8, you know, skim right toward the bottom of that. I'll read it. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him. For they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and she touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing all around you. But Jesus said, someone touched me and I knew that power had gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she'd touched him and how she'd been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John and James and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. It's a crazy thing to say. Hey, They laughed at him knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and he said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned and at once she stood up. And then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. There's a lot happening in in this story. In fact, there's a lot happening in these two stories. These are really two stories that are woven together. There's the story of Jairus and his sick daughter and the story of this woman. And at first reading, it would be be easy to read these these two stories and read these stories as, as just stories of Jesus doing two amazing miracles. It would be really easy to read these stories and say, these stories tell us that Jesus did miracles, that he was an amazing guy and that he could heal people. In fact, he even he raises this girl from the dead, which is a pretty amazing thing to do. Um, but I want to suggest to you that there's something even more important going on in these stories. There's a reason that these stories are included. There's a reason that these stories are linked in this way, uh, we read Matthew's version, but both, uh, sorry, we read Luke's version, but most, both Matthew and Mark actually include the same stories and they link them 
in the same ways. Remember that Jesus did way more things, way more miracles, way more teaching, way more everything than uh, is included in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. So the stories that they include, they include for particular reasons. Right? They, they, they want us, they, they include these stories because these stories tell us something important about who Jesus was and why he came. So let's go back and dig into these stories. Because both stories begin the same way. They both begin with someone making a desperate plea for help. Jairus comes, it says, he came and he fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house. Uh, that's verse 41. Verse 43, the woman had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. In some versions, I don't know what uh, version of the Bible you're uh, reading, but in some versions, it says that she spent all that she had on doctors. She has tried everything. Nothing, nothing has worked for 12 years. Um, both come to Jesus and make public requests for help. Neither appear to have a, a pre-existing relationship with Jesus. Neither of them seem to be friends or people who know him. The girl was 12 years old, uh, Jairus' daughter. The girl was 12 years old. The woman with bleeding had been suffering bleeding for 12 years. Uh, we know you don't have to dig very far to know that uh, 12 in, in kind of Bible language, 12 is a, is a perfect sort of number. There were 12 apostles, there were 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament. But the, the point is here that um, Luke is deliberately linking these stories for us. He's telling these stories in a way, he's lining up all these parallel details to deliberately link these two stories uh, for us. It, it's, it's Luke's way of saying, I want you to compare these two stories. I want you to compare and contrast what's happening here. So we've seen, we've seen there's a whole bunch of similarities in these stories. But there's one massive difference. There's one massive difference. Jairus is a synagogue leader. That means he's a, a leader in the religious system, in the church system. He's a boss in the church system of the day. He's important. He's a man. He's an important man and he's a good man. He, he, would, be, he would be the kind of guy that you would look up to and that you would say to your kids, I'd love it if you grew up like Jairus. He was the kind of guy that you wanted to be your friend. He was the kind of guy that you would look at in your circle and say, what a guy. Jairus is a good guy. And then we've got this woman who's suffered uncontrolled menstrual bleeding for 12 years. Sorry for the gory details, but if you didn't pick that up, that's what's going on here. Uncontrolled menstrual bleeding for 12 years. Now, remember, this is a culture in which a woman shouldn't come to Jesus on her own at all. And this whole menstrual bleeding thing made the situation a whole lot worse for her. In fact, believe it or not, this sounds crazy to say now in our culture. She's committing a crime by coming to Jesus. Don't turn in your Bibles, but write this down in your notes. Write down Leviticus chapter 15, verse 25. Leviticus is a book way back in the very beginning of the Bible uh, where Moses, the leader of God's people at the time, lays out 
all of the laws for God's people. And I want to read you one of those laws. Uh, this is uh, Moses talking to the people. This is, uh, you know, thousand years or more before Jesus. And he writes this. He says, When a woman has a discharge of her blood for many days at a time, other than her menstrual period, or if it continues beyond her period, right, it's exactly what's going on here. If it continues beyond her period, she will be unclean all the days of her unclean discharge. This woman is considered unclean. She was required to be separated from the rest of the community. This was self-isolation and quarantine way before COVID, right? This woman is in self-isolation and she's been like that for 12 years. For 12 years, this woman has lived excluded from her community. She's excluded from social gatherings. She's excluded from church. She's excluded from, from public events. This woman has been in personal lockdown for 12 years. She can't do things, she can't go places, and she can't touch anyone or anything because they believe that anything that she touched became unclean. And what does she touch in this story? Who does she touch in this story? She reaches out and she touches Jesus. And instantly in that moment, she makes Jesus a close contact, <laughs> the original close contact, right? She's stuffed up his day by doing the wrong thing. We've got two identical stories presented to Jesus, except that one is presented by a good, upright, terrific guy. And one is presented by an unclean woman who's breaking the social law even by being there. What does Jesus do? What would you do? I mean, it's obvious what Jesus should do. He should go with Jairus. He should go and do the right thing by Jairus and he should have the woman dragged away, probably yelling at her for touching him, you know, the way that you would yell at a COVID positive person if they showed up in church, even though they, were new, even though they knew they were COVID positive. Like, what are you doing here? But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus stops and he says, who touched me? And when the woman comes forward expecting the worst, she knows what's going to happen to her now and it's not good. And Jesus says these words, which might be some of the most beautiful words you will read in the scriptures anywhere. He says, daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. He calls her daughter. A bit of Bible nerd trivia. This is the only time in all of scripture that Jesus uses that word. This is the only time that Jesus looks at a woman and uses that word, daughter. Do you see what Luke's trying to tell us here? It's the daughter of the religious person, of the good, upright, 
You know, that's the person that Jesus should be calling daughter, right? But Jesus calls this unclean, socially outcast woman daughter. And then he says to her, go in peace. This is a woman that hasn't known peace for 12 years. I can't tell you how huge this moment is. And of course then, Jesus still then goes to Jairus, miraculously heals his daughter as well. Luke and Matthew and Mark are trying to tell us something really important here and it's actually got nothing to do with Jesus' miraculous power. This isn't a story about healing. I mean, it is because the healing is really amazing. But the point of this story isn't to show you that Jesus can heal. The point of this story is to show you that Jesus is radically inclusive. The point of this story is to show you that, uh, remember, this is the same Luke. This is the same Luke that begins his his story of the life of Jesus saying that angels appeared to shepherds and said, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. This is a story for Luke to show you what all people looks like. Can you see that? This is Luke saying, when we set this up and when God sent angels to say that, that this baby is going to grow into someone who will bring good news for all people, this is what good news for all people looks like. Jesus is good news for the wealthy, upright, religious Jairus. He is amazing news for Jairus. He has raised his daughter from the dead. But Jesus is equally Good news for an unclean woman who's been in social isolation for 12 years, excluded from society in almost every way you could imagine. The baby in the manger grew up to make new rules about who's in and who's out, about who's cool and who's not, about who's good and who's not. That's what this story is about. And I want to, it's not just this story. Jesus does this repeatedly all over the place. I mean, there's a moment in Mark chapter 1 where Jesus heals a leper. Uh, lepers were another group of people he couldn't touch. How does Jesus heal a leper in Mark 1? He touches the guy. Now, there's other, there's other stories of healing where Jesus speaks a word or where he heals someone from a distance. Why does he touch the leper? He wants to make a statement that I'm here for this guy, that I'm with this guy. In Matthew chapter 8, we talked about this a few weeks ago in our last series, Jesus heals the servant of a Roman centurion. A Roman centurion. These were the, this was the invading army. We said when we talked about it then a few weeks ago, we said, you know, for Jesus to heal a Roman centurion, uh, you know, the only thing I can think of, it's like saying to a a French person in World War II that you're going to go and heal, uh, you know, part of the the, uh, occupying German Nazi army. 
The Jews wanted to kill the Romans. And Jesus says, I'm going to heal them. When, when Jesus recruited his inner circle of 12, when, when he gathered people and said, these are the guys uh, th- that I'm, I'm going to sort of build my church on, one of the first people that he grabs is a tax collector. Now, we don't really get this, but a tax collector, this is not like someone who works from the ATO. When you said tax collector in Jesus' time, it's like we might say a drug dealer or a pimp. This was like, this was literally, this, these, these were the scum of the earth. These were the people doing the worst jobs, the, the, the jobs that made them just horrible humans. And Jesus says, I want that guy in my group. And right along with him, he chooses a bunch of fishermen, like just, you know, uneducated blue-collar workers. Just, you know, not, not the kind of people that you should want around you if you're going to, you know, build something important and significant. Jesus meets with other tax collectors. Matthew's not the only one. There's stories of him being with other tax collectors, actually going to their house and, and, and having food with them. John tells us a story where, where Jesus sits down and has a conversation with a Samaritan woman. Now, Samaritan, that means nothing to us. But, but back in that time, Jews and Samaritans were, they were like enemies. You know, if you're a Jewish person, you'd never talk to a Samaritan person. And, and not a woman, not a Samaritan woman. You know, on more than one occasion, the Bible tells us that Jesus got into a boat and he went over to the other side of the lake. Now, when you read that, you read that like, oh, it's just telling us where Jesus went. No, 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 you need to understand that on this side of the lake, the Jewish nation lived. On the other side of the lake, the ungodly non-Jewish nation lived. And Jesus goes over there and even does healings over there. Jesus hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors. He touched people who were unclean to touch. He ate with people who were, who were socially outcast that you should never be with, let alone go to their house and have a meal with them. Jesus came to set new rules about who's in and who's out. And Jesus' rule was this. Everybody's in and nobody's out. Jesus taught and he lived a life that said that God is available to everyone. That's the good news for all people that the angels came to say when they saw the baby in the manger. Jesus' inclusivity is a major theme that runs through all four Gospels. And it became a major major theme for Jesus' first followers. Paul, an early follower, would write this. Uh, Remember, this is a guy who's who's been influenced by Jesus, who's, who's met Jesus in a spiritual way. And then he would write this letter to a church and he would say, There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's Galatians 3.28. If Luke were writing it today, he might write something like, there's neither black nor white, there's neither rich nor poor, there's neither cool nor uncool, there's neither vaxxed nor unvaxxed, nor is there male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Because Paul knew this, that followers of Jesus follow Jesus. 
Followers of Jesus follow Jesus. Followers of Jesus have been, have always been, and continue to be, continue to ought to be, radically inclusive in the way they see the world. Followers of Jesus accept everyone. They love everyone. They serve everyone. They share the good news of Jesus with everyone. No boundaries about who's in and who's out. No, uh, no decisions about who's cool and who's not. There's no us and them for a follower of Jesus. Everyone is welcome. The good news that the angels announced at the birth of Jesus is that Jesus came to bring life and hope and peace to everyone. And that's good news for some of us who don't feel like we're included at certain times. Some of us who feel like in certain situations, in certain circles, among certain people, that we're excluded. Some of us feel like I did on Christmas Day, like, you know, even in church, like we might walk across the room and we might might look at the gift of Jesus only to be told this gift isn't for you. I've got good news for you. The gift of Jesus is for you. Whoever you are, wherever you come from, whatever you look like, whatever you do, whatever you've done, whatever's been done to you, the gift of Jesus is for everyone. That's the point that Luke's trying to make here. The good news of Jesus, the, the, the gift of Jesus that began at Christmas with that baby in the manger is a gift that is available for every person, no matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been, or what's been done to you. You can walk across the room today and you can open that gift. If you don't know what it is to live with the forgiveness and the peace, and the love, and the joy, and the hope that Jesus brings, you can have that today. It is available to you today. Those of us sitting here, those of us who watch this online, you can accept what Jesus has done for you today. You can receive that gift of new life that he offers you, the same as he offered it to that woman who reached out and touched him. I'm going to lead you in a prayer now as as we close. A prayer of acceptance and welcome for Jesus into your life. We're going to do as we often do in this church here. We're all going to pray this aloud, whether you've never prayed this before or whether you've prayed this a hundred times. As I pray, pray with me aloud. If this is the first time you've prayed this, this is an opportunity for you, whether you're here with us in church or whether you're watching this online, this is an opportunity for you to make a decision today uh, to accept the gift of Jesus into your life and into your heart. So let's pray. Um, Just bow your heads and let's pray together. Thank you, God, for the gift of Jesus. Thank you, God, for the gift of Jesus. Today, I want to receive this gift. Today, I want to receive this gift. Forgive my sin. Forgive my sin. And heal my heart. And heal my heart. I give my life to you. Take my life. And make me new. And make me new. Amen.
Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, uh, welcome into the family of God. If you're online and you've prayed that prayer for the first time, let us know in the chat. Um, we'd love to reach out to you and encourage you and support you. Um, and I want to say uh, there is a party going on in heaven right now for people who've made that. We've said this before. It's, it's a serious thing. There is a party going on in heaven right now. Every time someone makes that decision, uh, God, the angels in heaven are partying as one lost child has come back and be welcomed back into the family of God. But I also want to say this. If you prayed that prayer today, like maybe for the hundred and first time, and you're like, yeah, you know, I know this. I've been doing the Jesus thing for a long time. I pray today that you might be reminded that Jesus sees you, that he loves you, that he welcomes you because that's the kind of man that the baby Jesus grew up to be.